you would open your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel, we're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Samuel. We saw that the Israelites were doing battle with the Philistines. And we talked about the Philistines being a, a seaport city. They controlled the iron in that part of the world. They had, a, they had a good economy. They had a good military because they had iron. And they were able to make weapons that the Israelites couldn't make. And they had gone into battle. The Israelites had gone into battle against the Philistines. And they had lost 4,000 people. And they come back sort of scratching their head wondering, what can we do to overcome the Philistines? And somebody came up with the great idea, let's go get the Ark of the Covenant. We'll go get the Ark of the Covenant, we'll bring that into the camp, and then that will give us victory over the Philistines. Now, if you remember correctly, the problem with that thought, they were placing their faith in the Ark of God, not the God of the Ark. They were placing their faith in the Ark of God or the Ark of the Covenant between Israel and God. They were placing their faith in this box rather than the God who had given them the box to remind them of the covenant that he had with them. As they placed their faith in the box, they went to battle with the Philistines. And what happened? The Philistines whipped them. Over 30,000 Israelites killed. But worse than that, they took the Ark of the Covenant They stole it. They took it away. They lost the the very thing that represented God to them was now taken from them. Now, Eli, who was the high priest at that time, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they weren't very good guys. They were serving in the tabernacle as well. But if you remember correctly, they were kind of, uh, well, they were on the bad side because they were stealing from the people. They were stealing from God. They're the ones that carried the ark to the battle. Well, word got back to Eli. And what did he find out? What did he hear? Well, the, the, the prophecy that had been given to them that said both of your sons will die in the same day. Remember, a couple weeks before that, we'd studied. Eli wasn't being the father that he was supposed to be because he was allowing his sons to steal from the people, to steal from God and actually commit sexual immorality in the temple. That's previously in 1 Samuel. God had warned Eli several times about this, and Eli did what? He lectured his kids. He lectured him. He told him, hey, why are you doing this? Rather than taking action, he just said, why are you doing this? He never held them accountable. And now he, the, the man, we're told a man of God came to Eli and said, because, you haven't, because you've done this, both of your sons are going to die in the same day. So after the Ark of the Covenant gets captured, word comes back to Eli. He was at Shiloh. That's where the tabernacle was. Word comes back to Eli, both of his sons are dead. But then even worse than that, word comes back that the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. We read he falls off his stool backwards and he dies. Here's the nation Israel that's declaring the glory of God has departed from us. The Ark of the Covenant, it's gone. They're worried. They're stressed out. They're try- the, this, this was what we had. This is where our God met us. The mercy seat was on top of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is now gone. Tonight, we're going to find out where it goes. We're going to find out what happens to it. Do you think God's worried about what's going to happen to the Ark of the Covenant? God's not worried about it at all. Let's pick up with me, if you will. In chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, we'll pick up in verse 1. Then the Philistines, they had captured the Ark. They took the Ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. 
When the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod arose early in the morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and they set it in its place again. Now, let me just put this into perspective for you. There's a party happening here because they have defeated the Israelites and they have the the religious symbol to them. They're celebrating the fact that they've defeated, they've crushed 30,000, over 30,000 people, men of the Israelites are dead. They take this back and what are they doing with it? They take it into the temple of Dagon and they essentially set it beside Dagon. But here's the interesting thing. Dagon was a half-man, half-fish kind of looking character. As they set this ark of God before Dagon, what happens to Dagon? Well, they lock up the temple at the end of the night. They go home. They come out the next morning, and what do they find? Dagon is face down in front of the ark of the covenant, falling down. Do you think that's a symbol of worship? Sure it is. Your God is worshiping our God. The Israelites don't know anything about this. They don't know. They just think they lost the Ark of the Covenant. If you don't think God has a sense of humor, this is funny. (laughs) You're going to place the Ark of the Covenant of the living God in front of a false God and watch what God does. That false God falls on his face. Now, here's the even better thing. I don't know if you caught it or not there. If Dagon's such a God at all, why didn't he get himself back up? (laughs) But they had to go set him up. So they erect Dagon. Now, you've got to imagine this is kind of funny because the priests are coming in and they're figuring, they see this. I believe it was an obvious picture. I believe they brought the Ark of the Covenant in. I believe they put it in the temple. They come in the next morning. There's Dagon, just like the scripture says, laying face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. What are they thinking? Well, we better set this thing up. We don't want anybody to see this. Before the, before the people come in to worship, we've got to fix this. Well, they set Dagon back up. They leave the Ark there. Worship goes on normal for that day, whatever it was at that time. And look what happens next. Look at uh, verse 4. And when they arose early the next morning, there was Dagon fallen on its face to the ground before the ark of the Lord. The head of Dagon and both the palms of his hands were broken off on the threshold. Only Dagon's torso was left of it. Therefore, neither the priests of Dagon nor any who come into the Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. So let me fill you in. The second day, after they cleaned it all up, they come in the next morning, and what happened? Same exact thing. There's Dagon, face down, in front of the Ark of the Covenant, only this time he's broken. He's broken. His head fell off. His hands fell off. Now what are they going to do? they got to piece him back together and put him back up because that's the God they worship. You can't have people come. Can you imagine going in there to worship Dagon? What happened to Dagon last night? Oh, he had a rough night. We had to glue him back together. I don't know what they did with him. They had to put him back together. Then they said, well, wait, because he fell across the threshold, we're not going to walk across the threshold anymore. We're going to make this a ritual. We don't don't do that because that threshold is, is where Dagon fell. Dagon it? Maybe that's where it came from. I don't know. I just made that up. I don't know. This is comical. This is God having a sense of humor. But it's also God showing them something. God's reaching out to them. In their worship of false gods, God is saying to them, look, 
Look, your false god is worshiping the living God. Your false god is worshiping the Hebrew God. It was the clear picture that they had to circumvent, they had to go around it to ignore it. So twice we've seen God says, listen, worship me. Dagon's worshiping me. I control Dagon. He's not a god at all. But the people of Philist, the Philistines, do you think they're going to yield to that? No. No. Look what happens next. But the hand of the Lord, verse 6, was heavy on the people of Ashdod, and he ravaged them, and he struck them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how it was, they said, the ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is harsh toward us, and Dagon our God. Therefore they sent and gathered to themselves all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of God of Israel? The third time, God afflicts them with tumors. There's two possible meanings for that word, and I'm not making this up. The first possible meaning that some scholars believe it was a bubonic plague because of the mention of rats a little bit later in the scripture. The Israel, the, the, the priest, they believed that that word in, in Israel, in Hebrew, is translated hemorrhoids. That's what, they, that, that's what the, the scriptures, that's what it means in Hebrew. Literally, it means hemorrhoids. The Lord afflicted them with tumors, with whether it be a bubonic plague, whether it be... It's crazy that God has afflicted them with this. But I want you to notice something. God showed them once who he was. God showed them again who he was. And again, they resisted. The third time, God turned up the heat a little bit. I'm going to make it painful for you. I'm going to make it painful. And as he shows them the third time and he afflicts them physically, did you notice their response? They pushed God away. We don't want him here. We don't want that thing here because it's afflicting us physically. They didn't worship, which would have been the proper response. We don't want God here. We're going to push him somewhere else. Now, say, Rob, what does that mean to me? Well, we do the exact same thing today. God reveals himself to somebody. God shows himself to somebody. And a lot of times, what do your friends and family that aren't saved tell you? I don't want to hear it. They push him. They, they, they reject it. God does it again. They reject it. Eventually, maybe there's even some physical health. And I'm not saying, I don't believe that all physical problems are a result of rejecting the Lord. I'm not saying that. But maybe there is physical, physical health there and God is trying to get somebody's attention and bring them to him and they just keep pushing him away. Push, send him on down the road. Go on down the road. What would have been the Philistines, what would have been their proper response? To bow down and worship. They should have said, you know what? This da- Dagon ain't got it. I'm going for the, for the Lord. I'm going for, the God, for Jehovah. I'm going for the God of Israel because we saw what happened. He, Dagon fell over and worshiped. If, if Dagon's worshiping, I'm worshiping the wrong God. But that's not their response. Why not? Why wouldn't they do that? What? It doesn't make sense to me. Why would they not bow down and worship the Lord? I'm going to tell you why. Because they would have had to give up their lifestyle. Because in worshiping false gods, they enjoyed the things and the pleasures that went along with it. They enjoyed it. It was, it was fun. Sin was fun. There was, there was all kinds of sexual immorality happened at that time. In order to give that up, In order to stop worshiping the false god, they would have to give up their lifestyle, which is the same reason most people that don't believe on Jesus Christ will give you. They they don't want to come to Christ today. Why? Because it's going to cause them to need. If they recognize a god above them, 
they're going to have to change. They can't continue enjoying life the way that they enjoy it. And they can't continue doing the things they, they're doing because they know that they're wrong. How do I know that they know that they're wrong? Because the Holy Spirit is convicting of sin throughout the world. The Holy Spirit is busy convicting the world of sin. The scripture tells us that in the book of John. That he's convicting the sin. I can, you can trust when you witness to somebody, they're already being convicted of their sin. The Bible tells us that. That's part of the Holy Spirit's, one of the things he's doing. Pointing people to Christ, convicting of sin. And uh, there's, there's other, other, other things as well. So we can trust that when we witness, they're already being convicted. But here, they're doing the same thing people do today that are worshiping idols. Now, we're not worshiping Dagon today in our culture. We worship other things. We worship ourselves. We worship, our, our, we worship money. We worship uh, our, 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 uh, our possessions. We worship our homes. We worship all kinds of things. And what happens is God tries to get in. God tries to get in. God tries to get in. You can keep denying, keep denying, and eventually push him on down the road, which is what they're doing. And when you get to the real root of it, it's because you really don't want to change your lifestyle. You really don't want, when I was, I'll say when I was searching, when I was really looking for the Lord, and I was going to different churches and trying different denominations and doing different things, and I'm not kidding about this. This isn't, this isn't you're going to laugh, but it's not really meant to be funny. I really considered being Catholic because I could continue to drink alcohol. I, I really thought that. that. That was one of the things that went in my mind. I, I thought, well, if I'm Catholic, then I can continue. I like drinking. I like partaking in alcohol. So I thought, well, I can continue to do that. And that was, that's not the reason to choose, choose, choose where to attend church or where to study or where to worship at. But that was one of the mindsets because I didn't want to change my lifestyle. I didn't want God to tell me I had to change. I wanted to tell him how I was going to live, but I still wanted to believe in him. In a case like that, I'm really just worshiping myself, right? Now, we're not done. Verse, uh, verse 9, so it was after they had carried it away, the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction, and he struck the men of the city, both small and great, and tumors broke out on them. They took the ark away, and again the next city is struck. Verse 10, therefore they sent the, God, the ark of God to Ekron. So it was, as the ark of God came to Ekron, the Ekronites cried out, saying, they have brought the ark of God of Israel to us to kill us and our people. Word's getting out. Nobody wants to be around the ark. So they sent and they gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go back to its own place so that it does not kill us or our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city. The hand of God was heavy there, very heavy there. The men who did not die were stricken with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. There's no repentance. There's no worship. There's just pushing away, just passing on. Get rid of it. We don't want it. Get, get rid of it. Now, they have a meeting. Let's get the five lords of the Philistines together. We've got to figure out what to do with this thing. Nobody wants it in any city. It's already been to three at this point, and they're tired of it. Look, look at chapter 6. This is what they do. The ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. This has been going on. The Philistines, what do you think is going on in Israel at this time? Seven months, the ark is gone. The glory of the Lord has departed is what they claimed at the end of chapter 4. They're wondering what's going to happen next. Lord, what, what, what do we do now? What's going on next? Seven months this has been going on. The tabernacle, the high priest Eli is dead. He fell over. The Ark of the Covenant is gone. It's probably a desolate place. We're wondering what's going to take place next. Here's what's going on in, 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 uh, 
and the Philistines. Chapter, er, chapter 6, verse 2. The Philistines called for the priests and the diviners, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Now, the diviners are their spiritual leaders or magicians. What are we going to do with this thing? Tell us how we should send it to its place. How are we going to get it back to Israel? That's the dilemma. What do we do with this thing? How do we get it back? We've got to figure out something to do with it. We can't keep it here because we keep getting afflicted with tumors and, and Dagon keeps falling over. We've got to find something different. We've got to get it back to them. So they put together a plan. Verse 3. So they said, If you send the ark of God of Israel, do not send it empty. But by all means, return it to him with a trespass offering. Then you will be healed, and it will be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. And they said, what is the trespass offering which we shall return to him? Well, they're kind of on the right track there. They're they're trying to do something. We're going to give an offering. We've obviously sinned. They're recognizing they've sinned against the God of Israel. They're recognizing that. We want to try to make up for it. But the problem is you can only come to God on God's terms. If you want to go to the Lord, you have to do it on his terms. You can't decide, well, I want to go to God on my terms. I want to, I want to make my own offering for the Lord. I, want to, I, I, can, I can take care of my own sins, my own mistakes, by giving the Lord my own offering. What I'll do is I'll give money to the Lord. That'll take care of my sins. No. What I'll do is I'll give my time to the Lord. No. If you want to go to the Lord, it's on his terms, which is through the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, and no other way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except by me or except through me. You see, they, they're thinking they can appease the Lord with their offering. Now, here's the great thing. The Lord wants to bring the ark back to Israel. You know, the glory, of the, the glory of the Lord didn't really depart per se from Israel. He's going to bring it back to them. It did depart in a sense when, when Israel began to trust in the ark rather than, the God, rather than God. But he's, he's not done with them. He's going to bring it back, which is amazing in itself. We've been studying, those of you that have been here for, for a while, we've been studying all the way through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Joshua and Judges. And, and we look at the nation of Israel and we think, what's wrong? I would, if I was God, I would have given up on them years ago generations ago but he's not done with them yet he's still working on them so they put it together hey we're going to send a trespass offering now look at uh about the middle of verse four what's the trespass offering we're going to send they answered i got it five golden tumors and five golden rats according to the number of the lords of the philistines now the rats is why some people think it was the the tumors were the bubonic plague or a form of the bubonic plague you may think of it sweeping across Europe much later, but some people think this was, a, this was the same thing. So we're going to send back this Ark of the Covenant, but we're going to give a gift to God. We're going to make tumors. We're going to make golden rats. Look how they do. Look what they say. For the same plague was on all of you and, and on your lords. Therefore, you shall make images of your tumors and images of your rats that ravage the land and you shall give glory to God of Israel. Is that how God wants to be given glory? No, but they're going to do it. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods and from your land. If they really want to give God glory, what should they do? They should worship him. They should repent from their sinful ways and worship the living God. But they don't want to give him glory. They just want to appease him to make their life a little better. 
Lord, I, I, it hurts right now. I just, would you just fix it for me? I don't really want to worship you because then I might have to change the lifestyle I'm living. But I'll give you some things if you'll just make my life a little bit easier at the moment. Could you just get me through this rough week, Lord? Could you just get me through this difficult time? I really don't want to give, all right, I'll sing a song in church. No, that's not what he wants. He doesn't care if you sing in church. What he cares is your heart truly worshiping. You can sing in church and not worship at all. You cannot sing in church and be worshiping. You can worship in your car, at your home. But that's what he wants. Do you have a heart of worship? Here. Give God glory of Israel. Perhaps he will lighten his hand from you, from your gods and from your land. Now they're thinking back. Why then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts? When he had mighty things among them, did they not let the people go that they might depart? Now therefore make a new cart, take two milk cows which have never been yoked, and hitch the cows to the cart and take their calves home and away from them. So they're kind of reasoning and they're remembering, wait a minute. Pharaoh let the people, the story's gotten out. People know the history of the nation Israel. They know there's a God that's done incredible things. The story of, of Egypt, excuse me, the story of the wilderness, the story of Jericho, the, the stories of what God has done in the nation of Israel is spreading around the world, which is amazing. They didn't have Facebook, no email, no Twitter, no newspapers, no mass communication, no, news, no, no Fox News, CNN, nothing. The word's getting out. They know the history. They're quoting it to you here. They know the history. But then they say, listen, we've got an idea. I know how we can do this. Let's make a new cart. We'll take two milk cows, which have never been yoked. They're going to yoke them together. And then we're going to hitch the cows to the cart. But take their calves away. So take two cows that have just given birth and remove the calves from them. Mommy cows don't like that. Typically, if you take a calf from a cow, the mother wants to go where the calf is being taken to. If you don't believe me, look at it on YouTube. There's videos of it. There's a whole movement that tried. I found this interesting today. Farmers, dairy farmers, when a calf is born, remove it from the mother immediately, and they place it in what's called a hutch. And that's where they begin to feed it milk from the mother and, and raise it to produce more milk. There's a whole movement that thinks that's like really mean and they shouldn't do it that way. So they're trying to keep the calves with the mothers. And they've put these videos on YouTube of, a, of a, you know, you'll have a calf that's been born just a couple hours ago. And they're taking the calf away. And the mother is following the car or the truck that's taking the calf because she wants to be with the, with the young calf. And they're building, they're talking about this bond and, and how milk is supposed to be better if the mother and the calf are raised together. And, and the farmers say, no, it's healthier if we keep the calf in a sterile environment. It doesn't really matter who's right or wrong what matters is the mother calf naturally wants to go where the baby calf is going you say rob what does that what does that have to do with the story because watch what happens so take the two milk cows build a new cart set it take the ark set it on the cart put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in the chest by its side that's the tumors and the rats then send it away and let it go and watch if it goes up the road to its own territory to beth shemesh then he has done us this great evil but if not then we shall know that it is not from his hand that struck us it happened to us by chance so here's the plan you guys ready we're gonna get two cows that just gave birth we're gonna build this new cart we're gonna yoke these two cows together we're gonna put the ark of the covenant on the cart we're gonna take their babies away from them we're going this way with the babies and we want to see if the cart goes that way we want to see if if their god is really intervening that he's going to make those mothers go against what is natural 
and take that Ark of the Covenant back to where it's supposed to be. That's the plan. You'll have to come back no, next week to figure out what happened. No, I'm just kidding. Now, the men, verse 10, the men did so. They took two milk cows, hitched them to the cart, shut up their calves at home, and they set the ark of the Lord on the cart and the chest with gold rats and the images of their tumors. Then the cows headed straight for the road to Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went and did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them to the border of Beth Shemesh. It worked. They put the ark on the cart. The cows went opposite direction, left their calves behind, and headed up the road back towards Israel, Judah, where they were hauling the cart. And they follow. The Philistines are following along. This is, this is amazing. Isn't it amazing God's power to do something? When he says, I want to prove something to you, the moment those cows left, wouldn't have you said, that's it, Dagon fell over twice, I've had these tumors, and now the cows are doing what's unnatural. This is going to cause me to worship. You know, but how many things in your life have you seen God do? How many amazing, incredible miracles have you watched happen in your own life, whether it be a divine appointment, whether it be a healing, whether it be something that you witness God do, just an incredible thing in your life, and you worship for like a day, and then you forget about it. And it's like, well, what are you going to do next, Lord? What, what, is, it, what is it that you're going to do next? What, can, I, can I see something different? Or, you know, my day's not going, yesterday was a good day, today's a bad day. Can you worship God on both good days and bad days? Can you worship God when your health is good and when your health is bad? Or is your spiritual health tied to your physical health? My spiritual health is tied to my mood. I don't feel like worshiping. Worship anyway. Why? Because he deserves it. Because he's almighty. Because he's holy. You see, he knocked over their false god, not once, but twice. He afflicted them with illness. He did something miraculous in their presence. Well, if I could see a miracle, then I'd believe in God. Have you heard that before? If God, it just does, the intellectual, it doesn't make sense. I'm not going to believe in God because I, I need to see, see a miracle take place. There's a miracle happening right here. Jesus did hundreds of miracles that people didn't believe in. It's happening right here. Then I'll believe. No, the truth is people don't want to believe because it's going to cause them to change their life. Because the moment you recognize there is a God, a living God, and you place yourself under his authority, you are now living by his rules and not yours. You are now living by his prescription for life, his word and not your word. Not saying we'll do it perfectly. But it forces us to recognize when we mess up. And as human beings, we don't like to do that. It forces us to recognize our sin as sin. It forces us to go to the Lord and repent and say, Lord, I know your word says I shouldn't think like this. And I have today. Will you please forgive me? And you repent and you turn away from that. People don't want to do that. They don't want to admit that they're sinners. The quicker you admit that you're a sinner, even if you're a saved sinner, you're still a sinner. Now, they follow the cart back. Let's see what happens. Verse 13. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. They lifted their eyes and they saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. Can you imagine? We're, we're cutting wheat, we're reaping the harvest, and all of a sudden, here comes the ark of the covenant down the road being pulled by two cows. Hey, look! They'd never seen the ark of the covenant before. 
The Ark of the Covenant was kept behind the Holy of Holies. This is a gold box. It is solid. It's not, well, it's, it's not, it was made of acacia wood covered in gold. It is a gold box going down the road with nobody around and two cows following it. Hey, look what's coming down the road. It's the Ark of the Covenant. They'd heard stories about the Ark of the Covenant. It'd been in, it's, been in the, it's been in their lineage they, they, for years now. And now there it is. That, look, the angel's hanging over the Ark in the gold box. And look, there's the mercy seat. There it is. They're excited. They lift up their eyes. They rejoice to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua at Beth Shemesh and stood there. A large stone was there. So they split the wood of the cart. They offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the chest that was in it, in which were the articles of gold, and put them on a large stone. Then the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and made sacrifices that same day to the Lord. So when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they must have been following along, they returned to Ekron the same day. Again, not only did they see the cows leave in the right direction, now they're watching, watching the Israelites make an offering to the Lord. They chop up the cart, they make an offering, they chop up the cows, they put a burnt offering onto the Lord. They're worshiping God in the prescribed method that God has laid out for them. And they have the ark back. Now, verse uh, 17. These are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord. One for, At one for each of the lords of the Philistines, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron. And the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel on which they set the ark of the Lord, which the stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua at Beth Shemesh. Now, look at verse 19. Then he, being the Lord, struck the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people, and the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God, and to whom shall it go up from us? So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kirjath Jerim, saying, The Philistines have brought back the ark of the Lord. Come down and get it and take it with you. So let me explain to you what's taking place. The ark of the covenant comes into the field of Joshua. And then we read something incredible 50,070 men die. Now, there's two schools of thought on that. Some people think there was 50,000 people in the city and 70 of them died. And some people, and it was a mistranslation in the scripture, in, in, from, you know, in one of the manuscripts, manuscripts. other people say, no, there was 50,000 and, and, uh, and 70 men died because it says right there at the, end of, at the end of verse 19, struck the people with a great slaughter. Either way, it doesn't really matter how many people died. What matters is that they died for looking into the Ark of the Covenant. They looked in, they peeked in. What's inside? Maybe they wanted to make sure the Ten Commandments were still there. I wonder if there's still a jar of manna in there. I wonder if Aaron's rod is still there. They opened up the Ark of the Covenant and they looked in. And they were killed. Well, that doesn't seem very nice. Lord, why would you do such a thing? That's kind of mean. No, he told his people very clearly, very, very clearly, back in Numbers chapter 4, verse 20, they were not to look into the Ark. Matter of fact, they weren't even supposed to touch the Ark of the Covenant. They should have known that. 
But they figured, well, it's not in the Holy of Holies. It's maybe it's out in the field. We're just going to take a peek in the box and see what's in it. I think they were looking for the Ten Commandments. Are the Ten Commandments still in there? What do they look like? We've heard about Moses. He went up to Mount Sinai. He brought down these big tablets, small tablets. What do they really look like? But here's the problem. They removed the mercy seat. They removed the mercy seat. You see, on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant sat in the Holy of Holies. One day a year, the high priest would go into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies. It's what they call Yom Kippur today. He would go in and he would sprinkle blood from a sacrifice on the mercy seat. That's where God said, I will meet with you at that mercy seat. I'll meet with you there. It's in Exodus chapter 25, verse 22. That's where God's going to meet with them at the mercy seat. After he sprinkled the blood of the animal to cover the sins of the nation of Israel, the high priest would then come out of the holy of holies, out of the holy place, and proclaim to the nation of Israel, your sins are forgiven. When they removed the mercy seat, that's where God met them at the mercy seat. The law always brings death. When you look in at the law without meeting God with mercy, you're going to die. God had told them not to look in. And they removed the mercy seat from the very thing that God said, listen, this represents my covenant with you. I'm giving you the law. This is what you're going to live by. But I'm not going to meet you with the law. I'm going to meet you with the mercy seat because you need my mercy. When you lay aside the mercy seat, the mercy of God, you're left with the law of God. When you're left with the law of God, the law can't save you. Paul makes that very clear. The law cannot save you. Once that mercy seat is removed and you're staring at the law, there's nothing between that. All of a sudden, your sins are exposed. It's an amazing picture that we see. Carrying it on, where, what happens today? Well, the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ is where we meet with God today. Through the blood of Christ. Well, can't I meet with God some other way? No. No. Is there, is there another way for me to meet with God? No, there's not. Je- I told you, Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man or woman for that matter, can get to the Father, which is God, except through me. Except through me. What happened to the Ark of the Covenant? Nobody really knows. Is it still around? Do we still have it? Well, in 70 AD, when the temple was destroyed, the Ark of the Covenant was taken again. There's some speculation as to where it is. Some people believe it's in the Vatican, because on Titus's arch over in Rome, it shows it being carried back. Some people believe it's underneath the Temple Mount in Hezekiah's Tunnel, and it's hidden away. And, the, and, the, and some, of the, some of the Jews that are over there that are trying to rebuild the temple know exactly where it's at. When the temple gets rebuilt someday, they're going to bring it right back into place. Some people think it's down in Ethiopia for various reasons. Where is it really? We don't know. God knows if it's even still in existence. That's, that's up to the Lord. But here's the other interesting thing. If you ever get a chance to, to uh, minister to somebody who's Jewish, it's always a good question to ask them. How do you atone for your sins? Because there's no, if, if there's no longer the Ark of the Covenant in place, there's no longer the sacrifices being taken place. And the response will be, we reflect on our sins on Yom Kippur. We think about our sins on Yom Kippur. But the institution that God set up is no longer being practiced because there's a new covenant that's come into place. Because there's a new covenant. 
Aren't you glad we're not under the law? Aren't you glad that we don't have to go to the temple and make sacrifice? That'd be a terrible job for me. That was brutal and bloody for the priests. But instead, we get to come to the Father. And Hebrews tells us we can boldly come into the throne room of God by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that good news? Because no matter what you've done, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing in your past, nothing in your future can separate you from the, blood, from, the, from the love of Jesus Christ if you are covered, if you are washed with the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the law will still stand for those who are rejecting the blood. Someday they will still stand in judgment under the law. We're told that in the scriptures. And they will be judged for their works. It's what's called the white throne judgment. If you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, you will for, for the, the moment you leave this world, you'll forever be with the Father. That's really good news. I find this scripture amazing, this passage, because number one, it's funny. The Dagon falling over to me is just comical. And you can just imagine what they're, you can just imagine them getting their committees together trying to figure out how to explain this, especially when he got all busted up. They institute some rit religious ritual to try to keep the people away from it. Number two, it shows God's pursuit of the Philistines. It shows God's pursuit of the Philistines. Number three, it also shows us that God is just. If God says, don't look in the Ark of the Covenant or you will die, he's not going to say, well, I didn't really mean you people. After the, he, he's serious in what he means. He's just. If his, his word is true, you can count on it. If he says, don't do something, it, don't do it. And lastly, I just, I love the fact that God pursued them so much. Not once, not twice, not three times. Showed them a miracle, watched the true witness, and yet their heart never turned. We live in a culture where we have to be very, very careful that we don't worship the things of God, that we worship the God of creation. We live in a culture where we can do what they were doing, where, well, I just worship a lot of different gods. There's a lot of different things I worship. I worship this, I worship that, I worship football on Sundays, I worship whatever. I can worship a lot of different things. That's not what God prescribed. God wants us to worship him. He wants our heart to connect with him. Not that we can't enjoy hobbies or fun things. But I think it's good to ask yourself, am I really worshiping the Lord? Give worship to the Lord in the way the Lord prescribed. Well, how did he prescribe? He said, repent and come to me. If you're living in, if there's something in your life that needs repentance, repent. And then you declare who he is and you give him the worship that he deserves. And by you giving that worship, you don't make him worthy. You're just recognizing that he's worthy. He already deserves the worship. He doesn't even need our worship to make him worthy. He's already worthy. But the, when we align with his plan for us is when the blessings get poured out on us. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, as we look at these two chapters, we just see, we see your grace, Lord, as you, you made it so obvious for the Philistines, yet they rejected. And Father, you do the same thing for us today. As you work in our lives, we see it taking place, we see it unfolding. Father, would you open our eyes tonight to the things that you're doing in our life? 
Would you open our eyes this week, as the rest of the week, as we see these appointments made by you for people that come across our path, Lord? Nothing happens by chance. There's no coincidence in your kingdom. Instead, there's divine appointments. And Father, may we always be willing to serve you. May your name and your praise, thanksgiving, may that be what's on the tip of our tongue. If we're away, may we repent. May we remember that nothing can keep us away except ourselves. May we always, always, Lord, come back to you quickly, not to be separated. In Jesus' name, amen.